Hi, I'm Sean Healy, and you're listening to Tools. Hi everyone, Sean Healy, personal development educator and NLP trainer here, and you're listening to episode 145 of Sean Healy Tools, a podcast intended to offer education, tips, tools, strategies, and insights for helping us have the best quality life and relationships that we can. Um, I guess to open up this episode, I love to look at different models for um, understanding human beings and understanding what it is to be a human being in relationship. Um, and today, this episode is drawing off um, some of the concepts that uh, originate out of Murray Bowen family theory. Uh, Murray Bowen was the, uh, the founder of, of Bowen family uh, theory and this idea of looking at the symptoms that appear in the family, looking at how the whole family system contributes to the dynamics that are playing out um, and the principles that you can apply to getting a healthy, healthier family system working. Um, so I wanted to leverage off uh, some of those dynamics today, talk a little bit about those, and in particular, um, inspired by a family systems author, Roberta Gilbert, um, whose work I certainly would recommend. Uh, in particular, The Eight Concepts of Bowen Theory is one of her books. I think one of the other ones is called Extraordinary Relationships. Um, and there's a number of others that she uses to apply um, Bowen Family Systems Theory to um, helping us have um, be able to track the kind of dynamics that appear. And then what do we do in order to have healthier, um, healthier relating? Um, but I think where things start, and from my perspective, in terms of op offering um, educational frames around having better relationships, is that um, just simply being aware of what's going on or having more awareness of the kinds of patterns that we're immersed in in relating um, starts to help us be less, less anxious, starts to give us a greater sense of control and predictability around each time anxiety rises in our relationship or in our family system, here's how our family or myself and my partner, here's the automatic go-to patterns that we do in order to manage that anxiety that comes from relating, closeness, um, issues of um, managing self and uh, managing self relative to staying connected to other people. Um, so I think even if we're not, first step is just simply that we are, we're, we're seeing with more clarity what's going on. Then we may or may not decide to, uh, to, to do anything about it, but, but at least now we're at choice point if at some stage we want to start to um, move, begin a project of moving ourselves more and more over a period of time into healthier, more consistently healthier, genuine um, uh, intimacy-promoting dynamics. Um, 
So all that being said, um, I wanted to look at um, some of the um, the dynamics that emerge when anxiety increases. The more anxiety or pressure or intensity that's applied on a system, the more likely you are to see that the patterns become more obvious. Um, so what are these patterns? One of them is is this idea, and, and if you've listened to other episodes, you've heard me mention this before, which is the triangulation. If, if, if there's too much intensity between two people, we pull a third person in. Um, triangles are neither good nor bad, but they are very automated, and sometimes they work to um, relieve the pressure or, or bring in a solution from the outside that helps us move forward. And at other times, if they're highly um, uh, reactionary and, and there's lots of side taking and nobody's talking to each other directly, we're talking, you know, as a result of these triangle dynamics, then this can actually, it takes the triangle or bring somebody else in to bitch to about my partner, um, takes a little bit of pressure off momentarily but does nothing to serve the ongoing um, uh, undercurrent that, that's actually creating the problem. But for a moment, I feel better. I get to, you know, um, complain about my situation with somebody um, without necessarily having to do anything directly about it or face the genuine anxiety of talking to the actual person that I need to be talking to. Um, I'm taking the easier road out. Um, but like I said, this is a temporary and short-term solution. So that as pressure goes up, as I say, you know, um, who, do you, who do you go to when you probably should really be talking to your partner about things that are frustrating you in the relationship? Uh, is it the same person? I always go to my mate Bert, I call him up, we go down to the bar or the pub and I complain about my um, the, the, the latest perceived indiscretions or um, inadequacies uh, of my partner, um, and where my partner goes first is to her mum, or, you know, if things get worse, we'll go to mum, and then we'll go to a girlfriend, or like I said, I'll go to my friend Bert first, and if there's still, you know, more tension in the relationship to be um, shared around, and I'm not ready to have a direct conversation with my, my partner, then I might call in another friend, or I might complain to a family member. So, we can spread the anxiety um, that's built up in the couple dynamic and, and share it around amongst other other people. Um, and if people uh, want to continue to fuel that unhealthy dynamic, then they'll take our side or they'll take our partner's side. They won't see the bigger picture of how the couple are contributing, but rather they'll focus on one side of the couple or the other. Um, maybe they'll break contact. You know, I'm on your side, so I talk to you, but I don't talk to your partner anymore. Um, these types of things that, that can only add to uh, tension as time goes by. And there's that much to be said about uh, triang triangulation dynamics. Um, you know, I've, I've done a number of episodes on this and there's probably plenty more we can do. Um, but if we're not sort of you know, pulling in a third party and we're talking about our partner to somebody else rather than talking to our partner, um, then what we might see emerging is um, over-functioning and under-functioning dynamics where, um, you know, perhaps the, we've, we've been hit with a um, some sort of external stressor and um, one of us will kick into action mode 
to um, to manage the anxiety by getting hyper busy and hyperactive. Um, and the other side of the relationship will shut down, ignore it, um, maybe sink into <clears throat> excessive substance use. Um, but in many ways, we, we might see this over-functioning, under-functioning dynamic, or one of us is, you know, doing heaps to keep the relationship energised and going, and the other one is just kind of sitting back in receiving mode. Um, if when, you know, or... Um, one of us is doing all the parenting, um, keeping track of what's going on in the kid's life, um, and the other one of us really doesn't know much at all. Um, so there are a number of ways in which the over-functioner, under-functioner kind of dynamic can play out, and I, I wanted to you know mention it as well as the triangulation, um, but again, it, it has a massive amount of depth and lots of implications and could definitely be a subject of its own series of episodes as a standalone, but um, it's a very common um, uh, dynamic in when anxiety arrives that one of us will start doing more in the relationship, more than our 50%, and as a result of that, the other will start doing even less um, and start to shut down. Um, so watching that both parties are pulling their weight uh, with the triangulation. We're making sure that as, as, as confronting as it is, we're having those challenging conversations with our partner rather than talking about our partner to other people as quickly as possible. You know, how do, how do, we, how do we schedule in time to have that direct conversation? Um, if we truly want the anxiety to decrease, then we have to face potentially a short-term you know, boost in anxiety because, oh my God, What's my partner going to say if I confront them about this? How are we going to work through this? Um, the other element here is that we can become highly reactive. Um, things that in, at other times probably don't bother us as much. All of a sudden, metaphorically, um, it's like everything that happens around me is, is like sandpaper on my skin. Things that normally I would be able to brush off quite easily, I'm now obsessing over, I'm, I'm becoming compulsive. Um, I'm, I've got a hair trigger around my emotionality um, and we're sometimes watching that too in that if we've got maybe a significant family event coming up and that creates its own level of anxiety that we'll find that we won't necessarily link two or three days out from the family event you know that we've suddenly become hypersensitive and hyperreactive to everything that goes on around us um, which is actually kind of um, the precursor to going to the family event, but I'm going to spend a couple of days before we even get to the event where I just, everything seems to irritate me and I haven't linked the two together. Um, but now I'm starting all these extra fights. So not only have I got at the undercurrent level, the anxiety of going to the family event coming up, but now I've started all these fights on the lead into it. Um, and on the way out too, I might find that there's what we call afterburn which is, you know, I'm exhausted, I'm still sensitive, I'm still cranky, even though the main, the major family event that was actually the trigger of anxiety has passed, but, I, but I've still got the residue of anxiety to deal with. So it's well worth it, I think, for people to sometimes just look at what their emotional state is like um, prior to uh, significant events. Um, and you might be able to tag that, a day or two before a significant event or a day or two after a significant event, 
you seem to have a spike in irritability, um, hypersensitivity, things that normally would be water off a duck's back, really stick in your craw, really irritate you. And so we're being extra mindful of our reactions and knowing that that day or two before the family Christmas or a wedding or a, you know whatever it might be, some large family function, I'm going to be um, I'm going to be more reactionary than I normally would. And so mostly what it's about is I'm doing everything I can to stay calm and, and objective and just observe um, what my reactions are like and then make a more adult conscious choice rather than just being pushed along by the anxiety of the, uh, of the system um, and my um, anxiety relative to going into my family system or, or my partner's family system. And then we're also watching... How is our partner? You know, do they go through something similar a day or two before? And maybe we need to have a conversation and just be very mindful of the two of us. How do we not make these situations more challenging by starting to really snip and bark and 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 irritate each other or being aware that things that we would do normally that would be, uh, I don't know, maybe four out of ten on the irritation scale, but two days before a family systems uh, uh, event or um, ceremony of some sort, um, that four out of 10 is likely now to jump to eight out of 10. Um, so we're working as a team also to, to get through the situations, stay objective, stay calm um, as much as we're possibly able so that we're not making challenging, we're not adding to the anxiety and creating even more um, challenges and obstacles for ourselves as a couple. Uh And the other one I think that I want to talk about is if we have children, um, one of the ways that um, we can avoid facing the anxiety between the in, in the relationship is if we have children, we start to overly fixate on the children. Um, and it's important to note that overfixation on children, overfocus on children, um, even if that's a positive focus, um, it, it starts to put extra pressure on a child. Um, oh, our child's amazing. They're the golden child. You know, oh, everything they touch, they're the school captain. They get the best marks. Um, they're so amazing. Oh, they're so gifted. They're so talented. And I'm not saying we don't praise our children, but we're, we're careful not to overcook this um, and, and overly focus on the child. We're giving the child room. We're not placing too much... Um, unconscious pressure on the child to, to, to carry the family system and the good name of the system, or the inverse of that, where we're constantly worried about the functionality of our child. Oh, they're going to end up a disaster. They're going to end up in jail. They're going to be this and that. Um, and, and what we find is that we end up uh, almost emotionally exhausting our children because there's so much intensity that we're relating to them through. We're not actually relating through genuine intimacy, but this kind of wash of, of um, um, feelings of, of anxiety or anxiety management, as I say, whether we're overly focusing on the child in the positive or overly focusing on the child in the negative, these things are going to impact and force the child to behave in certain ways and blocks the child's self-autonomy and their, their self-freedom. I, I can't... that. You know, how much focus is too much focus? I, I think that depends that, you know, 
if you hold that principle in mind to guide you a little bit, but if you've got a child or um, single children, uh, single single child dynamics, that you know, again that we've got mum, dad, and the child, that already is a is a triangle. So you have to be really careful that um, single children can often weigh um, take on way more in a system than they probably should, um, and. Um, but if we're talking about you've got multiple children, then it's kind of assessing each child in terms of their temperament, their personality, where they sit in the birth order, um, and sometimes holding that idea of a mind and how do I get a healthy enough focus on my child so that they feel supported and nurtured, but there's enough room for them to start to be them, um, then this can be a work in pro progress. And, and sometimes you're going to... Um, find that you're obsessing over your kid or you're putting too much pressure on them and then it's just it's just gently correcting just pulling back or if you find you're starting to to because of other things presenting in your life you you found you've got you haven't checked in enough with the child then okay how do we how do we make room you know maybe I'll take my 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 child out for a um for, for a bite to eat and and we'll just check in um and it sometimes can help uh, between yourself and your partner to put some, maybe some formal benchmarks in there where we go, well, at least once or twice a week, I want to make sure I've really sat down with each of our children and just had a nice uh, a nice chat, just a nice check-in, just to see where they are, just to keep the relational bonds strong. Um, but again, each, each child will respond differently and you'll have to work that sort of spectrum of over focus to under focus um it's something that will be continually need to be monitored but i think it's an important principle um and you can look if you want some ideas on this probably where you would go um so one of the things that can sometimes help is we're natural sticky beaks well maybe i should talk for myself i'm I, you know um, I'm, I'm obsessed with other people's lives and other people's families and their dynamics. Um, uh, absolutely. Um, but we can, one of the ways in which you can start to get more awareness of the dynamics you're in, because these, these are the things, you know, that you've been in all your life. So sometimes this could be a bit tricky to see. But if you're starting to watch in other people's dynamics for these patterns, where's the triangulation in my friend's? Um, in my friend's dynamic, when my friend and my when when my friend and their their partner get stressed and angry, what what do they do? Um, who do they start talking to or complaining to outside of the relationship? Um, so we're noticing what friends do there. We're noticing if there's uh, dynamics around us that seem to be very distinctly an overfunctioner or an underfunctioner. You know, we go to an event and one of our friends has cooked, stayed up all night cooking food and preparing it all and their partner sat around and just played Xbox um, all, all night and didn't didn't lift a finger. Um, you, you know, so again, you're looking at overfunctioning and other underfunctioning dynamics as they appear in others to then bring that focus back to you. Um and then if we're also looking at things like um, watching how if if you know watching how other parents either over fixate on on their children or under under focus on their children and what the what how that you can you determine how that impacts the child's behaviors and responses 
as their way of being in togetherness and staying in the family system is shaped by too much uh, parental attention or, or not enough. Um, and then you can start to apply those kinds of um, dynamics so that, you know, we're taking up a bit of a kind of an observationary position both when we're watching other family systems to help bring that, not to judge other families, but to just get more awareness of seeing these patterns play out live and so that then we can bring that into our own dynamic and perhaps, you know, we sit down. And and it, it, it's a good couples project, I think, that, that we can sort of talk about what we're seeing and then if we want to, what what might we? And you don't have to, of course. Uh, like I said, this we start with observation um, and these are just patterns of relating that human beings do. They're neither good nor bad. They have probably what you would say is, is some more useful expressions and some unuseful, um, but probably the best place is just to start with gaining more awareness. That would be my, uh, my suggestion to begin with. So there you go. Um, episode jumped around a bit, um, but uh, there's a lot of, you know, trying to kind of open up and hopefully give you some, a little bit of a sense of what some of these dynamics look like when they are, all of them are in standalone carry a great amount of depth if you do want to explore them. But I think there is extreme value in, in doing this. Um, and, and this, as I mentioned earlier, starts to give us a greater sense of, you know, that we, we, we can have some control and that we can willingly move our relationship even more in the direction that we want. Um, so there you go. Uh, there's episode 145, Observing Anxiety Dynamics in Relationship. Certainly there are more, um, but those are the ones we got to uh, chatting in this particular episode. I very much hope that you um, can take some of this away and use it um, to help make your life and your relationships better. Um, and as always, to, to those who've been listening uh, along for a long period of time to the show, my profoundest thanks to you as always. And again, hope you enjoyed this episode. If you're just joining us then and you want to continue to support the show, certainly uh, also hope that you take some stuff away from the episode and um, found it to be of value. Um, if you want to continue to support the program, please go to iTunes, download, subscribe, and leave a five-star review as it makes it uh, easier for others to find um, the program. And I'm passionate about, I think the more education we have, the more we can, you know, willingly take, you know, move our lives in the direction that we want. Um, and the show is also available on Stitcher, Podbean, and other podcast mediums also, and at the website emergencetraining.com.au. Um, so thank you again. Um, as always, wish you every success, joy and happiness in your life. And until we're with each other on an, another episode, bye for now.